Good morning. Welcome to a Euroactive debate supported by the TIC Council. This morning, we're going to be discussing carbon removals and how best to implement and validate them. I'm Rahim Zaidi, and I'll be your host of what surely will be a fascinating debate. A big thank you to everyone who is joining us online this morning. And a reminder that if you have a question or comment, don't forget to send it into our chat page along with the name of the panelist it's directed at, and we'll pick out some of your questions for later on in the program, so do get involved. So to the topic of the debate, in a nutshell, to keep in line with the Paris Agreement and ensure temperature rise remains within 1.5 degrees centigrade, the world needs to reach net zero carbon emissions as soon as possible. The EU's ambition is to reach net zero by 2050, and we have many levers to do this. Increase renewables, stop deforestation, support climate projects and deals. But this alone isn't going to be enough. We have to actively suck out and neutralize the CO2 in our atmosphere. Essentially, it's a balancing act. We need to remove and store as much carbon dioxide in the air as we put into the atmosphere. Now, technology exists to remove carbon dioxide from the atmosphere and store it in trees, in plants, in soil, underground reservoirs, rocks, the ocean, and even through things and products like concrete. But does that come with risks and would a natural approach be better? Well, let's ask the experts. Okay, well, let me introduce you to our panelists. We have uh, Lucas Weizek, a member of the Cabinet of the European Commission's Executive Vice President, Franz Timmermans. We have MEP Norbert Lind, who also chairs the Agri Committee at the European Parliament. We have Celia Neeson, Senior Policy Officer for Agriculture and Food Systems at the European Environmental Bureau. Lucia Perugini, Senior Scientific Manager at Euro Mediterranean Centre on Climate Change. Yuri Lozensky, Carbon Scheme and Verification Manager at AgroCarbon Alliance. And Laura Severino, Head of Sustainability Compliance and the New Scheme Development Coordination at RENA. So a big welcome, of course, to all of our panellists. But now to understand who they are, what their expertise is, let me now give them the floor um, to speak to all of you now for a few minutes. Let's start in order of their introduction. So Lucas Visek, please do go ahead. Good morning, um, and thank you for inviting me to this very timely and a very um, uh, event on, uh, on a very important topic. Uh, Mariam, I think you've, got, you've given a very good overview of why carbon farming um, is actually going to contribute to the overall uh, uh, objective and goal of the European Union to reach climate neutrality by 2050. Let me add to that, that uh, the Commission proposal on uh, in the context of the Fit for 55 package stipulates that by 2035, uh, the land sector, uh, which includes agriculture, of course, which includes, includes forestry, um, should and is able to reach climate neutrality by uh, as early as 2035 and after that year it will actually uh, become a um, a helper uh, to other sectors to uh, to 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 help them to uh, to to decarbonize uh, now back to to carbon farming and why this is important um, in fact i was talking to a farmer from alsace just yesterday um, and he was telling me uh, he was telling me that uh, he's been doing carbon farming for 20 years um, and in fact, over the 20 years, he has increased carbon content in uh, his soils by 20%, uh, sorry, by 25%, uh, which is a staggering number. Um, and why is this important? Well, it's important for three reasons. First of all, uh, he's done this to uh, keep his production potential. Uh, we know that about 80% of soils in the EU27 
uh, is at risk of moderate uh, to severe soil erosion. So uh, he's clearly protecting his uh, his property. Second important point uh, why this is important is that he also told me that because of this, uh, he has increased his yields by seventeen percent over the past uh, over the past twenty years, and that's not that's not a, a, a small amount. And that leads me to the third uh, point, which is that by doing this, he's also increased his resilience to climate change. And he was telling me that uh, that that his business uh, is uh, very much affected uh, by by climate crisis. Now, what what the Commission wants to do is to actually do one better. Uh, what the Commission wants to do is to actually uh, help farmers uh, like the person I met yesterday to uh, to monetize uh, the carbon removals, to actually create a voluntary carbon market, uh, so that uh, so that those who do carbon farming, those who do these agroecological practices, who, those who store carbon in uh, soil in materials can sell uh, uh, a carbon uh, their carbon credits um, on the uh, on the market and have an extra income from these voluntary uh, markets now in order to do that uh, as is the case with with any market uh, we need to do two things uh, first of all we need to pump in uh, money into this uh, because any market uh, runs on uh, runs on money and i'm sure we'll come to that in the in the discussion uh, the sources uh, need to be combined both from public sources and both from and from uh, private sources. Uh, and again, I'm very, very happy to come to that in the rest of the discussion. But um, equally importantly, and probably even more importantly, we need to create trust in these uh, in these carbon credits. And this is exactly what the Commission is working on. At the moment, uh, we're going to put forward a proposal for verification and certification of carbon credits at the end, uh, at the end of this year, and with that, uh, we hope to trigger the market and uh, build trust of investors um, and those who are involved. Thank you very much. Okay, well, I think everyone will be interested to listen um, and hear about those new proposals later on. Um, but let's now go over to um, uh, our colleague from the European Parliament, MEP Norbert Lind. Um, please go ahead. You have the floor. <clears throat> Yes, good morning to everyone. Thank you very much for having me uh, this morning. So, dear uh, colleagues and ladies and gentlemen, our world looks different since the 24th of February. The question of food security is back on the agenda and it is our task to help the Ukrainians and the world to secure enough food in the future. It is therefore all the more important for me to emphasize that the prim primary task of agriculture is to ensure the production of safe and high quality food. Nevertheless, it is important to support and combine this food production with digital technologies and to continue to promote climate protection. And I may have the opinion that carbon farming does exactly that. With the right framework, carbon management can create a new profitable business model and support the transition to more climate action, as Lukas um, mentioned before. I would like to briefly address what I consider to be the three most important points on carbon farming. First, agriculture is ready to make 
its contribution to carbon neutrality. However, it is imperative that the climate service be rewarded accordingly. This means we need additional public funding, but especially private money. There you can see I fully agree with Lukas. Second, we need a scientifically sound and reliable EU-wide framework. Carbon sequestration must be measurable and verifiable to build long-term trust. And third, in addition, carbon farming should be ideally integrated into production rather than being a separate measure. A new certification scheme with these features has the potential to protect the environment, make climate performance measurable, and help farmers shift towards more sustainability and more resilient farming practices. I'm looking forward to the debate. Thank you very much. Thank you. Well, it was interesting now that you spoke about climate management could be a new business model and definitely something to discuss a bit later. Okay, over now to Celia Neeson. Please go ahead. Thank you, Miriam, and good morning, everyone. Um, I see that uh, my co-panelists have already jumped into the, the heart of the topic. Um, personally, I wanted to start by taking maybe a, a step back um, from what I consider to be quite a narrow topic of uh, how we will finance carbon farming and, and step back on why do we actually need removals and, and what could be potential, potential risks in, in the way that we uh, implement them. And in particular, I wanted to share some very strong messages that came out from an event that we hosted yesterday um, on carbon removals. Um, and these messages came from, from climate scientists and, and really experts in this field. And the first one was that, I mean, of course, everyone agreed that we need removals, but um, there is a very real risk of uh, having a deterrence effect uh, when we implement removals, which would mean that they would deter emissions reductions. And so the, the key message that came out here is that uh, one, removals can only serve to uh, compensate for residual emissions, which are quite small. We're talking of roughly 10% of our current emissions. Um, and two, that um, we cannot equate emissions and removals. Um, fossil and biogenic carbon in particular are not the same. They operate on different timescales. And here, we're talking about two very different kinds of removals today, both technological removals and carbon farming. Uh, so land and, and sort of natural nature-based removals. And when we're talking about carbon farming, it's important to rem remember that it's not about sequestering the carbon that's being emitted by fossil fuels and, and neutralizing emissions from fossil fuels. We can't do that. Every ton of fossil fuel that we burn is extra carbon in our atmosphere. What we might be able to do with carbon farming is compensate past emissions from our land sinks, the past losses in carbon from our, from our land sinks. Um, and so these are very, very different things. And that's something that we have to bear in mind when creating the policy framework for, for managing these removals and for, for promoting them. Um, and in particular, a very strong call that came yesterday from, from our experts is that there is a need for separate targets um, for removals and for emission uh, reductions. 
and for separate measures. Uh, we can't use the same methods, the same measures uh, and, and policy framework for everything. We really need to differentiate so that we are doing it right. Um, and so here we think that um, the first very important step, of course, is to have a robust LULUCF regulation, so the regulation on land use, land use change in forestry, um, which sets ambitious uh, rules and, uh, oh, sorry, sets ambitious targets for um, increasing our carbon sinks in the land sector and also for uh, strong methodologies for monitoring those. And, and I'm not sure that we are quite there yet uh, with the Commission proposal, so there is more work to be done there. And then we'll need to develop a, a comprehensive policy framework with a mix of carrot and stick to promote removals. Um, and here we're hearing from uh, the Commission and from uh, the Parliament that they are very much thinking about the carrots. But where is the stick? Um, we have in, in the past, in all the challenges that policy has tried to address, very rarely achieved our goals when we only focused on, on carrots. We really need to have this sort of pull and push approach. Um, and so also set certain, certain rules and, and baselines in, um, for example, the protection of our existing sinks. Um, so this is something that from, for now we feel is a bit missing from the conversations. And then if we get this comprehensive framework, we believe that indeed certifying carbon removals could be a useful part of that. Um, but we really need to be clear on, on what this certification framework will be for. Um, we've heard a very clear message now from uh, Lukas Rizek, but that is not um, what we're reading in the commission communication or in the consultation that's currently open, it's a lot more ambiguous. So it, it, I really feel that the, the quality of the debate nowadays on, on this topic is, is not uh, very high. It's still very confused and, and quite narrow. And I'm glad that today we get another opportunity to really explore those topics and try and set some clarity. Thank you. Okay, thank you, Ms. Neesons, and definitely um, thank you for giving us that analysis on, of course, um, EU policy and what you think isn't working. Definitely that's something um, we're going to touch upon um, in our debate. Okay, to our next panellist now, um, we have Lucia Perugini. If you'd like to uh, go ahead, please, you have the floor. Thank you. Thank you very much for inviting me for in this uh, very interesting debate. I think that I, I don't know how much we will come out from this debate with more questions than answers, but uh, indeed we need to build up uh, our answers altogether. Uh, the challenge is there. We need to, um, to offset the residual emissions. So what, what we are targeting, it's uh, our carbon neutrality um, in 2050. There will, there will be emissions that are not uh, uh, cannot be uh, zeroed, uh, such as those uh, from waste, uh, from agriculture, and we need uh, um, forests are, are requested to offset those emissions. So we are talking about this residual emission, but if even if uh, those emissions are small, uh, the, the amount of, uh, of carbon that, that the forests and the land in Europe will need to uh, absorb from the atmosphere is actually the double of what uh, we are currently doing. This is what the projection will say to us. So we need to double in a, in a, in a scenario uh, where actually we are projecting some more disturbance uh, on the forestry sector, more fires, more droughts. This will uh, hamper the capacity of the land uh, to absorb. So the challenge is there, but there are also opportunities. Opportunities in reducing and, and fighting these disturbances, for instance, uh, from fires 
or increase the carbon storage in soils that are uh, there, there is a, a very large margin with conservative agriculture, no tillage, zero tillage, and uh, and uh, any any um, uh, practice that reduces uh, the the oxidation of carbon in soils, and sustainable forest management as well. So there are potentialities there. So uh, it's really welcome this uh, framework at the European area, the, uh, um, European um, scale that incentivizes those actions. Uh, but uh, as uh, other has said, we need the measurable results and uh, we need data for doing so, methodologies, but also data. Uh, and, uh, and this sector is, uh, um, unfortunately, the, the most lacking for, for the, the data, uh, especially on, on soil. Uh, but again, also there, um, we can see uh, this carbon farming as, a, as an opportunity. Um, where farmers will be engaged also in collecting those data, um, creating standardized methodologies and, and also the full factors that can be used and, uh, and collect the, those data and then uh, providing a, a network at the EU level, uh, collecting um, uh, all these measurements and providing a standardized emission factors that farmers can then use without uh, going to very cost-effective uh, um, um, cost uh, uh, framework. And this is very important. We, we need to see really opportunities within, but there are challenges uh, uh, behind that. And, uh, and uh, I'm happy to discuss them with you during this, um, this exchange. Thank you very okay. much. Thank you so much, Ms. Ferragoni, and talking about the challenges and, of course, the opportunities that exist as well. Okay, over to our next panelist, uh, to Yuri Lozenski. Please take the floor. Yes, good morning, uh, everyone. Uh, good morning, Mariam. Um, thank you very much, and um, I'm delighted to, to be invited today to this very interesting conversation. Um, I'm, uh, I work in Gaza Carbon uh, Scheme and Verification Manager. Uh, in Agoro Carbon uh, Alliance. Um, just a few words maybe about who we are. Uh, Agoro was founded by Yara, international uh, leader in fertilizer production, uh, with actually with a goal to develop, um, uh, to develop carbon projects and support uh, farmers uh, worldwide in implementation of regenerative uh, agricultural uh, practices. So uh, currently we work uh, um, very actively in US, but also have in Europe one uh, pilot project in Spain. Uh, and we would like to contribute to the discussion today with our on-ground expertise uh, and also knowledge. Uh, so what I would like to highlight here at the beginning is the need for a strong um, MRV system, monitoring, reporting, and verification system uh, for the development of future um, EU um, carbon uh, sequestration um, scheme. Um, because I think, in our view, that's uh, the key would be the key, one of the key to success. Uh, so we believe that uh, future EU framework uh, should incorporate strong uh, and outcome-based requirements and more MRV uh, and as actually this is needed to ensure the highest possible market value of the credits and uh, also delivering highest income and additional revenue streams to the growers to the farmers uh, and that would also actually enable acceleration of carbon farming uh, uptake. 
Um, also, I want to highlight that uh, from our on-ground experience with farmers in Spain, uh, is that the um, subsidies available to the farmers for um, implementation and development of regenerative ag practices uh, very often on their own are not enough. Uh, and farmers need additional um, support, additional support in terms of uh, agronomic advice and support, but also financial support for the implementation of the practices. And that's where we see um, a private business and also our role as a crucial uh, in order actually to help with um, um, carbon finance uh, to to the farmers to to implement the practices and also to scale up. And um, I'm very much looking forward to the discussion today uh, and discuss um, a design element of future future carbon um, carbon scheme uh, in Europe, but also uh, contribute, as I said, with our experience uh, to uh, to the discussion on MRV validation and other topics. Okay, lovely. And no doubt we'll be very interested to hear about all of those projects that you were talking about just there in your introduction. Okay, over to our last speaker now, um, to Laura Severino. Uh, please do take the floor. Okay. Good morning, everyone. My name is uh, Laura Severino, and uh, in RINA, I am responsible for uh, certification services related to climate change. Today, I represent the Council, the trade body of the testing, inspection, and certification industry around the world. Uh, while the sector might not mean a lot uh, to the general public, we are present in every one daily life. Most likely your phone, your car, the lift you took this morning have been certified by our sector. Uh, the tick, tick sector uh, test, verify and certify virtually every economic activities from commodities to health, food, household and advanced industrial appliances. In this context, we have the competence to contribute to the success of carbon removal solutions, both in regulated and voluntary markets. For example, RINA, my company, is accredited since 2008 by the United Nations Framework Convention on Climate Change for the clean development mechanism and joint implementation, the two flexible mechanisms of the Kyoto Protocol for the Greenhouse Gas Reduction Project. And of course, there are many similar examples uh, within the rest of the TIC uh, Council uh, membership, uh, as the sector works uh, with standards and uh, schemes for carbon removal, uh, with, uh, as, uh, such as uh, the Greenhouse Gas Protocol of the World Business Council for Sustainable Development, the Verify Carbon Standard, the Gold Standard, and the Clean Development Mechanism. Using this standard, we offer measurement, design validation, as well analytical study of CO2 trapping and dispersal mechanism. Based on this, we consider that the new regulatory framework should be founded on three pillars. Firstly, we, we need a commonly accepted standard that ensure transparency, trust, replicability, and the level playing field. Secondly, the certification of carbon removal should be issued only following exante validation and ex post verification by third party independent body. Finally, it is important to set up a rigorous, a rigorous system of accreditation. This would ensure that third party bodies technical competence, independence, and impartiality. 
uh, we hope that uh, today's event will contribute to a regulatory framework in the EU that would ensure that buyers are confident about the quality of the carbon credit. Land managers have real estimate on their potential revenues. Technological companies in the carbon capture sector have sound figures to attract investors and policymakers trust the regulatory framework to expand. Fighting greenwashing by ensuring a robust, a robust trustworthy scientific approach to the validation of environmental claim is a top priority of the TIC sector. In this context, we welcome all participants to join for a discussion on supply chain due diligence at the TIC summit on 1st of June in Brussels. Thank you. Okay, thank you very much. Okay, well, now that you've all given um, your sort of opening introductions, let's kick off the debate. Um, First thing to everyone who is, of course, watching online, I can see that you are sending in lots of questions, so keep them coming in, and we'll get to you very, very shortly. Okay, so a general question to kick things off uh, for the panelists. Is carbon removal working? Um, I mean, of course, we've got great initiatives. We've heard about a few of them, both private and public. But are we anywhere closer to meeting this target of 1.5 degrees temperature target? First of all, I want to go to uh, Lucia Perugini. Um, from what I understand, since 2003, you've been involved in the UN framework for climate change negotiations as part of the Italian delegation. So you're probably possibly uh, most well placed to answer that question. Please go ahead. Thank you. Thank you very much. Uh, yeah, we are, yes, indeed, in the front line between the uh, scientific um, community and policy. Um, and uh, yeah, we are not uh, on track. Uh, science uh, has uh, is telling to us repetitively in the last years uh, that we need to target 1.5 increase uh, uh, against the pre-industrial uh, levels. Uh, and uh, we are not there. Uh, we need to do more, but all, in all sectors, as Celia was saying, uh, but still, uh, and, and the models are, are relying a lot in some cases uh, on CCS, but actually uh, carbon capture and storage and uh, technologies. But uh, what, what we do have, I mean, the, the most uh, uh, readily available uh, strategy to, to remove carbon from the atmosphere at the moment uh, is forest and agriculture. So uh, the vegetation is uh, our uh, golden um, ballot and, uh, and we need to, to use it for, for achieving the target as well. I mean, together with the reductions. And indeed, are, are we on track? Uh, deforestation has been decreasing in the last uh, years. Uh, I mean, I'm talking about since the uh, 1919. So action can be done, but it's still very high. So there, there is a large margin, and we, we, we need to also to decrease that. But also, uh, agricultural land has increased, uh, and, uh, and the Working Group 3 report uh, has um, uh, um, underlined how, how much, I mean, uh, the, the potential of agriculture and forestry to achieve the mitigation target is uh, up to 30%. 20 to 30 percent so it's a lot and we need to size it and we need to size it uh, uh, using incentive system uh, as carbon farming so uh, to, to, to reply to your question we are not there but there are opportunities uh, um, that we can size uh, in the land sector and that's been proved to be a um, 
very uh, reliable and uh, and uh, available. Thank you. So, so not there yet. Um, now, before I go to Mr. Visek and, and MEP Linz, I want to go to Celia Neeson's because you were quite critical of the kind of policies that are in place. So what's your take then? Are we anywhere closer to meeting, um, you know, our temperature targets right now? Um, it's really hard to see how we would be um, when all the trends with emissions at, at a global level are going completely in the wrong direction. And in Europe, we are not reducing emissions nearly as fast as we would need to be. Um, and now we have new targets, um, but those targets are still not enough um, compared to what science tells us we need to do. Um, there is a clear uh, case for Europe to do a lot more. We were asking for uh, a target of uh, gross 65% emissions reductions uh, by 2030, so excluding removals, which should come on top. And instead, what, we're, uh, what we have is, is a net 55, which is a lot less. So we, we're not even setting the right ambition in our targets. And then even though we have those targets, the measures that we're putting in place are, are inadequate. And that's not me saying this. This is the, the European Environmental Agency and, and many other uh, independent uh, observers and, and experts. Uh, we're, we're not doing enough. And since... Um, the agriculture sector uh, is uh, sort of the focus of, of, uh, of today, it seems. Um, on this front, it's the same, it's the same issue. Um, agricultural emissions have been stable for the last 10, 15 years. Um, and they're actually higher today than they were in, 20, in 2010. Um, and here we're talking about emissions from livestock and from fertilizer use primarily. Um, but the situation is not much better when we're looking at agricultural land. Uh, agricultural land is not a sink right now. It is a source of emissions. And that is in large part because we are draining peatlands and using them in agriculture. And that causes huge uh, CO2 emissions. And we could tackle that very easily. We just need to rewet 3% of our land and we would uh, put an end to those large uh, sources of, of CO2 emissions. But we're not even doing that. And that's let alone those, those uh, stagnating emissions from livestock and fertilizer use, which I was mentioning just before, which we're also not really tackling. The, the common agricultural policy is not setting any, any targets. Um, the, the baseline of, of the conditionality, the, the basic rules that all farmers will need to uh, respect to get money are not really setting any, any conditions on, on livestock or on fertilizer use. Um, it's a very weak baseline and then the money that's available to incentivize farmers to do the right thing is not being used um, ambitiously enough. It's, we have done analysis. I'm not saying this just uh, you know, from uh, the top of my head. It's, we're seeing that member states are primarily using this uh, large amount of money that's available to them to do good. Instead, they're using it to fund uh, largely things that are already happening now. So we're not going to see... Um, any significant improvement in the next uh, five to six years of, of this common agricultural policy. Um, so it's, it's very hard to be optimistic in terms of the direction that we're on right now, and we need a lot more. And certifying carbon removals is clearly not enough. We will need to do a lot more than that as well. Okay, well, let's then move over. Um, given everything that you've said, let's move over now to our representatives from the EU institutions. First of all, I will come to you, Mr. Uh, Visek, then. So, um, targets still not enough on emissions reductions. I mean, the European Commission has a big job to do. Lots of competing aims. Um, 
Do you accept those criticisms? Do you think that the European Commission and the EU as a whole is doing enough to ensure the validation of carbon removals in a way that is satisfying consumers, uh, policymakers, and the industry? Thank you. Um, you know, I think that where we are now uh, on the uh, pathway towards the uh, the targets of the Paris Agreement is is not a matter of opinion. It's a matter of facts, uh, and I think that the latest IPPC report gives us those facts. Uh, and this is this is where we are. Um, uh, there's no doubt about that. Uh, I would like to react to a few points that have been mentioned in the in the debate, um, and of course to your to your question, Marion. Uh, the Commission put forward the Fit for 55 package. Uh, it contains a number of targets uh, which are very ambitious, uh, but they can be done as proved by the by the impact uh, by the impact assessments. Uh, the ball is now with the European Parliament uh, and with the Council uh, to negotiate uh, on on these targets. Uh, but um, as I said, this is something that uh, is going to be very hard, but uh, but it can be done. One thing I would like to really highlight here, um, and Celia has said that uh, herself, uh, agriculture and the land sector cannot be excused from this process. It is uh, a sector which has to play uh, its parts, its part, just like just like every other sector of the uh, of the of the economy. Uh, the huge advantage that the that the agricultural sector has is the common agricultural policy, with an enormous of money of 387 billion euros and here and now is the opportunity to actually support farmers uh, through the common agricultural policy through the national cup strategic plans to help them undertake this transition to help them store more carbon in soil to help them uh, um, develop uh, or, or implement better agroecological practices to revet those peatlands and wetlands uh, to invest in uh, precision farming uh, to increase their resilience, uh, maintain their incomes, and actually reduce uh, reduce those uh, emissions. Okay, um, thank you so much. Okay, so over to our MEP, uh, Norbert Lind. Um, lots of criticism, well, lots. Um, there was criticism, I should say, um, of the CAP. Is it ambitious enough? Do you think the European Union as a whole is doing enough? And what then is the role of the European Parliament in all this, in increasing ambitions and to bring targets forward? Yes. <clears throat> Thank you very much um, for this question. So it's clear that the um, common agriculture uh, policy of the European Union uh, is the most ambitious one in the world um, when it comes to sustainability, when it comes to environmental ecological um, measures and uh, measures uh, to fight against um, climate change. But just mention a few of them when uh, we were um, putting in place uh, some measures of condition conditionality, so the farmers, they have to fulfill um, conditions um, to be able to receive, um, to receive the subsidies. For example, um, strict uh, rules on crop uh, rotation, strict rules on uh, ground um, uh, covering of, um, uh, of land, and um, a lot of measures and um, uh, voluntary measures when it comes to the so-called uh, so eco-schemes. Um, uh, these are now um, under discussion between the Commission and, um, uh, and the Member States. And there is again 
uh, as well uh, an, a second pillar where we increased uh, the conditionality for the member states to use more money for environmental, ecological measures, for measures uh, to be able to guarantee more animal welfare in, um, in uh, the future. So there is a lot of um, in uh, the new common agriculture, uh, in the new common agriculture policy. Uh, but uh, this funding is not enough, as I mentioned before. Uh, one source of funding is the common agriculture policy, but another one is um, uh, uh, funding, private funding uh, from uh, companies uh, to invest yeah, um, in having more carbon re removal. And in my view, another source of funding are the ETS revenues. So this is under discussion or under a negotiation uh, between uh, the rapporteur and the shadow rapporteurs, for example, when it comes to, uh, to Lulucf. To so I would say, as a European Union, um, uh, we are the most um, ambitious region in the world, um, and uh, we do whatever uh, we can uh, to, to reach the targets. And um, I would say the Parliament um, is in some areas even more ambition, uh, ambitious than and uh, the Commission proposals. Uh, just a, a last uh, sentence from, from my side, for example, when it comes to the 50, uh, 55 um, reduction uh, targets, when we talk about LULUCF, um, I would say uh, uh, there's a clear maturity uh, to, to do more, there's a clear maturity in the Parliament to do more than the 55%. Uh, uh, when we talk about 300 million tons or 310 million uh, tons of, of things which we want to uh, achieve in uh, 2030, that means that we have um, a reduction of uh, emissions with 56 um, uh, till 57% at the end. Let me just follow up a quick question there, um, MEP Nobert-Linz. Um, you say that, that the European Parliament wants to do more. Why aren't you doing more then? What are the sort of roadblocks that you're facing? So it's clear that um, when we look on the different um, proposals of the Commission, so this is, uh, we were just talking about LULUCF, this is one of, of 12 important um, uh, files, important proposals uh, from the Commission side. Yeah? So the, um, I would say the more important uh, is the ETS, yeah? for example, to take uh, uh, to take transport and buildings on board, no, which is controversial no, within uh, the parliament. No, this would lead us to uh, a lot of more um, reduction of, um, of emissions. Yeah. But on the other hand, when it comes, uh, when it comes to LULUCF, yeah, uh, a minimum, no, what will be the outcome um, of the discussion in the parliament will be uh, the, yeah, more or less um, on the same line that the, uh, the, commission, uh, that the commission proposed. Yeah. Okay, um, let's move over to Yuri Lezensky then. Um, we were hearing there um, from the MEP who's speaking on funding and investment. Now, your company focuses on carbon farming. So, especially for our viewers who might not be completely, you know, up to date with what exactly it is, talk us through the kind of projects um, that you are undertaking with your company. Right, thank you for, thank you for, for this question. Yes, indeed. Um, we are uh, focusing on uh, um, our work on implementation of regenerative act practices. So we work actually, um, so in, in, in center of our business model uh, is our farmers. 
Uh, but we also work with um, uh, agronomic advisors. We also work with uh, investors and other partners, actually, in order to, that's why we also called Alliance, uh, in order to enable the scale up of regenerative ag practices. Uh, we, in our work, we are focused on uh, implementation um, of um, re and reduced tillage, tillage, uh, zero tillage practices, um, and also cover cropping. But also, um, we are uh, working with farmers on implementation of uh, regenerative ag practices uh, on grazelands as well. Uh, so, implementing practices like rotational grazing, for example. Uh, so this um, and uh, in the center of our business model are also uh, lies carbon finance, right? And um, so we want to um, to reward uh, farmers for implementation of the regenerative uh, ag practices um, is through uh, and through the development of carbon offset projects. And those um, offsets could be obviously then purchased on voluntary carbon market uh, by investors. Um, I, I see in the whole project development process a number of challenges, which I, would, I could uh, think will be also challenges for the future in Europe uh, and specifically for the development of uh, carbon, um, um, carbon schemes, carbon certification scheme as well. Uh, this actually challenges related to uh, to proving additionality, uh, to measuring soil in the carbon, uh, but also to the topics mentioned already today, uh, like permanence. Uh, this uh, all these topics and questions related to this um, topics um, we hear. Um, these are actually questions related, uh, which are interested not only for, um, for for us, but also for the investors and for the farmers, right? So farmers want to know how do, can they implement the practices, how they, uh, how much carbon they could sequester, right, in the soil. Um, and investors also want to understand um, the quality of any carbon credits, what they will purchase, how reliable is a um, and how, what is the quality of the carbon credits generated? So I think all this um, uh, type of questions needs to be also addressed by uh, the future carbon scheme. Uh, but also on more higher level, uh, I see there is also a need of clarity uh, how the future European scheme will um, interact in an international voluntary carbon market, and how the carbon any carbon uh, claims or credits generated would be accounted towards uh, NDC national determined contributions. Uh, so um, these are questions, I think, which still needs to be addressed in a discussion between uh, different stakeholders. Okay, brilliant. Um, so Laura Severino then, um, your thoughts on what you heard just there, but also there is a question um, from one of uh, our members of the audience, from Richard Colliner. He says, does the panel agree that carbon farming solutions will need to be scaled up for the whole world and therefore we need international standards as performance benchmarks and independent third-party accreditation or verification mechanisms to enable global mutual recognition? And that's for Laura Severino. Okay. Um, yes, the, 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 the best solution to uh, assure the, the, the quality of carbon credit and carbon market and to uh, 
uh, assure for all investors, uh, land manager, the, the, the credibility of the market is to uh, create an international standard and international system, starting from the already existing system scheme, because uh, we have already the, the scheme, the, 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 the standard scheme applicable uh, around the world um, for the reduction of uh, greenhouse gas emissions. Um, and, uh, for example, the clean development mechanism, uh, verify carbon standard, gold standard uh, in the regulated and the, in the voluntary market. And this scheme works very well because uh, they are under control of, uh, of uh, a, a, an accreditation body or also a scheme owner with a very stringent rule. Uh, and and uh, because um, I represent also the council and the certificate certification body, no? I, am a, I work in a certification body, but all, all the certification body must work uh, in, in the same way in all the world. This uh, ensures the uh, transparency, the credibility of the mark. Otherwise, the quality of carbon credit uh, is, is not assured. Okay? And so the best solution is start, start from the existing scheme to have a benchmark. Uh, for uh, ISO international standard, for example, we have the standard for accreditation ISO uh, 70,029 for accreditation. We have the standard for monitoring and reporting of uh, greenhouse gas emission, for example, standard ISO uh, 40,060, the series of uh, ISO 30,060, 61 for inventory. 62 for project and we have also uh, to learn from this existing scheme okay this is the the sole solution the system work if uh, is a, a robust system otherwise uh, is difficult to 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 operate and to uh, to have uh, trust in the uh, carbon market yeah, my trust is very important. Um, Silly Neeson, you wanted to jump in here and talk about um, the international scope of it all. Yes, thank you. Um, now, there was a, a reaction to the question from the audience that you, that you uh, brought up. Um, for, from our side, this would actually uh, ring very big alarm bells. Um, I mean, maybe just uh, to, to clarify where we stand here, um, we're actually really not convinced that uh, market-based mechanisms are adequate to finance carbon farming. Um, there are many, many complex questions here. Um, the MRV is not ready. Um, there is no permanence. There, there are very key questions around the liability of land managers if uh, carbon that they have sequestered is then re-emitted. So all those questions to start with are very complex and we will need to get the answers right in order to have anything you know sort of uh in that has any sort of environmental integrity and uh, a robust system but then if we were to do that um in the eu uh there's already a bit of an issue that's uh, the cost of land the cost of labor um, and the, the cost of living uh, is very different if we're looking at france or romania for example and so can we have a system uh, where we are trading carbon credits at uh, a single price within the EU? Um, th that 
to me is a big question um, because that would then create very large incentives in countries that have cheaper labor, cheaper land, etc., um, and much less so in other countries. And, and what impacts would that will that have on rural communities, on farmers, on land prices? And then that's already an issue within the EU, which already has a, an internal market. Imagining doing that at global level um, with continents that have completely different economic systems is, is just unimaginable. Um, and the current also, something to bear in mind here is the current prices on voluntary carbon markets is extremely low. With five to 10 euros per, per ton of carbon, we're not going to go anywhere in, in Northwestern Europe. Um, that, that's not an incentive for, for really putting in place the changes that need to happen, rewetting peatlands, planting trees, etc. So um, very complex questions here that we need to, to tread very carefully. And, and we really urge for caution here from the Commission. Okay, well, since you mentioned the Commission, uh, Ms. Neesons, um, let's go over to Lucas Fonisic. What do you make of all of that then? Th thanks very much. I would like to react to, um, to three points. Uh, first of all, let me be very, very clear on one thing. Uh, what the Commission is going to propose at the end of the year is going to be a certification and verification system for the EU. Um, it is not for the international credits, uh, it is for the EU. Not even mentioning the fact that we cannot, uh, um, you know, put, we cannot uh, uh, regulate things that happen outside of uh, the borders of the EU. Um, uh, but uh, uh, of course, these standards will be applicable to uh, to the to the EU. Um, one thing that second, sorry, second thing um, that's been mentioned is uh, once again the credibility and the trust uh, into the market, and this is exactly what this proposal is aiming to actually uh, deliver. Um, the investors, uh, who by the way can be outside of the EU, but the credits need to be generated in the EU. Uh, so the money can come from outside, but uh, uh, the removals will be in the EU. Uh, they need to be sure that when we talk about a one ton of removed carbon, it actually is one ton of removed carbon. And then brings me to the third point, which is uh, the price of uh, of those credits. Uh, and I can imagine that the price is going to be actually very uh, different for various uh, for various types of uh, of credits, which is linked, and I don't want to be too um, sort of complex and technical, but which is linked to the permanence of uh, of these credits. I think there's a very strong and to the cost uh, which went into creating uh, these removals. I can imagine that, for example, rewetting uh, wetlands and peatlands will generate quite a quite an expensive. Uh, carbon credit, uh, because the investment into that is relatively high uh, compared to other practices. And at the same time, the permanence of uh, these credits is really for uh, a long time, because there's no business case in in in, in draining those wet, uh, uh, rewetted wetlands and peatlands again a few years after uh, they have been they have been they have been rewetted. So um, it's a bit of a complex uh, discussion with 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 many elements. But I just wanted to clarify that we really are talking about creating um, a market in the EU uh, and creating a system which may of course serve as an inspiration for the others. Um, but we are not regulating uh, carbon removals in the rest of the world. Okay, but MEP Linz, is the EU then serving as an inspiration? You wanted to uh, make a few points, I understand. 
Yeah, no, I just want uh, to react um, not only what Lucas said, but what uh, Cecilia said. When we would have to wait for international standards, yeah, uh, maybe or maybe they will be in place in 10, 15 or, or 20 years. Uh, in, in my view, this uh, would be too late. So I um, uh, would like uh, not only to repeat what Lucas said, it's about the European system. Um, and as you are or maybe not surprised, and I repeat myself, I'm very much in favor of um, a market-based uh, market approach. And um, I, I listen carefully to the arguments of, of Cecilia. And there uh, could be a solution when it comes to different uh, prices of land, to different uh, wages um, for workers um, in the agriculture sector. Uh, for example, when we would end up with... Uh, um, with a CO2, with a uh, voluntary uh, CO2 market, um, uh, public funded, and on the other hand, maybe with the possibility to add a public fund, for example, what I mentioned before, for example, ETS fund, this could be an instrument yeah, uh, to, to balance uh, the different situations in the agricultural sector in the European, in the European Union. For example, uh, in my country or in the northern part of the European Union, we have high prices uh, for land, we have high wages uh, for workers in the agriculture um, um, uh, sector, so this means a lot of costs uh, for farmers. Uh, maybe there is a need to add to uh, uh, CO2 um, revenue uh, from um, uh, private uh, companies to add, uh, in addition, ETS revenues, just as an idea. Yeah, uh, this. Uh, could lead us to balance out the different, uh, the different situations. Now, Yuri Lezensky, you wanted to talk about um, impermanence. And we do actually have a question um, from one of our audience, from Jimmy Dogerl. I apologize if I've mispronounced your name. Um, he says, which policy option is best to address impermanence, legal liability, buffer accounts, discounts, or temporary credits? Yeah, I tried to address this question because it's resonated a bit also with my comment uh, I wanted to make. Um, there are indeed like different methods. Uh, I mean, there are, first of all, to start, there are all, uh, different carbon standards, voluntary carbon standards, addressing a permanent topic to, um, uh, with, with various approaches, basically. Um, credit, most, most of the standards require actually permanence of 100 years. And in imagine it's very hard then to foot for the farmer to commit to implementation of the practices um, for 100 years, right? So the question of permanence uh, and, and, uh, and environmental integrity is, is, is valid, right? And, and it's uh, very high on agenda. Uh, so there are indeed different different methods how to address this. So one is for, could be, for example, uh, a buffer. So when, when there is a specific contribution uh, from the project developer to the buffer to address permanence or to address it uh, with a specific risk assessment. And, and I think there is no need to reinvent actually the whole system from use, but um, I would say, I would recommend actually to build up on, on already existing approaches. Uh, from our perspective, um, buffer is uh, a fixed buffer contribution it's really maybe not the right approach to do because to address the permanence because um, 
um, different different projects have a different um, let's say risk profile in terms of implementation of the practices and so uh, so having a fixed contribution doesn't really um, reflect uh, reflects actually the uh, the risk profile of specific uh, carbon projects. Uh, I think that the best approach would be built, for example, on um, a, on, on a verified carbon standards they have for agricultural projects, uh, a sort of dynamic approach with, where the permanence is um, and buffer con to contribution to the buffer is based on assessment of various risks, internal external risks of the project, but also climate risk. And actually tr trying to depict as a sort of insurance um, the, the risk profile of the specific carbon project. So that's uh, uh, hopefully maybe to, to address a question from the audience. Um, and also then I have also comment on measuring soil organic carbon. What from our experience, the main barrier actually in implementation of the project is related to the measurement of the soil organic carbon. Uh, it's a very expensive procedure and uh, we would welcome also approaches which are also already developed by other standards uh, which would allow the modeling of the soil organic carbon. So there are, um, I think at the beginning of the discussion today, it was a short, uh, we have mentioned already uh, a modeling of the soil organic carbon. In our view, that's essential to scale up uh, the farmers as well, uh, to scale up the projects. Uh, and in, because we need to a measurable system, right, where we could uh, where we could calculate how much actually uh, farmers have sequestrated the, the, the carbon. And for this, um, um, solid and robust, scientifically robust models uh, are needed uh, and on European level, maybe also focused on specific practices, which um, might be the most uh, valuable for the farmers uh, first. Um, and I believe those models could be developed with the support of European Commission uh, as well, uh, because at the end, farmers will profit from, from such development. Uh, so, uh, and this will, as I said again, will enable scale up of the project. We believe very much in this. Okay, and Laura Severino, you wanted to um, interject there. Well, only, only to, to highlight that uh, probably, the, the, yes, the system is at the European level, yes, is, uh, is uh, uh, the good option, but uh, uh, the method, the, the method of uh, certification uh, probably can be uh, um, can start from the existing scheme, you know, the, because when you have a, a carbon removal project, we have to perf we have to uh, submit this project for a validation you know, to verify that this uh, project is additional, the boundary is well defined. So the concept, the principle, are uh, that defined in the international standard. And the, the, for, um, for the, the carbon credit, for the certification for, for carbon credit, it is necessary to have the verification. So ex-ante uh, validation and ex-post uh, verification. Uh, these are um, third-party activities already uh, well defined in the standard, in the international, and also the, the system of accreditation. So uh, uh, it is... Uh, uh, 
uh, well, the, the, the European system, but starting from the, this is our point of view, starting from the existing uh, scheme, existing scheme and standard, uh, in, uh, because uh, we, we, we do not need to reinvent the, the, the wheel. No? We can start and improve the rules uh, uh, of, of this system. Okay, um, I have an audience question from Mark. Um, he says, if a removed ton of carbon is reversed, so re-emitted, then it must be cancelled. But if a ton of carbon has also been sold as an offset, effectively, it would result in two tons of carbon in the atmosphere. How will those corporate claims be corrected? Um, Laura, how about, you know, as a representative of the multinationals of the industry, would you like to uh, just jump in there? Uh, it depends on the, 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 the methodology we define, okay? And, and so probably this is a particular requirement of carbon removal. And uh, uh, we, uh, it, it's important to define this rule in order to uh, de decide if one, uh, if the, the, the carbon is remitted, we, uh, the, this, uh, this, uh, can be deleted. It depends also on on a period, on the, on the period uh, on which that the carbon is remitted. Okay. Um, and so, how do you then prevent that carbon that removed carbon is counted twice, especially if it's then sold outside the EU? And perhaps we could have Mr. Visek there. That is I a think question that this from is, uh... Tara Sudik. Thank you, thank you for that. Thank you for that question. And this is exactly uh, what the what uh, the Commission is now working on in the context of the of the proposal, uh, so that uh, so that all the um, all the carbon that's stored is accounted for uh, in the correct way, um, which then of course translates into the uh, uh, famous uh, famously abbreviated proposal for uh, for Lulu CF. Um, and, and so that this accounting is actually uh, is 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 robust. So um, I, I will repeat what has been said before, which is that we'll probably leave this discussion today with more questions than 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 answers. And in a way, it would be actually uh, wrong to uh, leave this discussion with answers because this is really the the work of of experts who are working on the impact assessment um, and who will come up with answers precisely to those questions uh, at the end of the year uh, for the for the legal proposal. Delaney, since you wanted to jump in there, please go ahead. Yes, please. Um, thank you. So, I mean, this question is extremely relevant. Um, we, we can't be claiming removals twice, both in the national inventory and also in corporate um, sustainability claims. And so we are expecting from the Commission to clarify how they are going to deal with this. Um, but I also just wanted to comment a bit on, on we're having all these discussions on, on, on double counting, on, um, on, on permanence. We haven't even touched on additionality. And these are all um, so complex. And these issues arise because we are trying to set up a voluntary carbon market um, for financing uh, carbon farming. If we just used... Uh, the funding that we already have in the common agricultural policy or if we created additional funding from national uh, funds or, or even EU funds like we could have uh, for example made more use of the the green recovery funds uh, for, for things like carbon farming 
um, we wouldn't have all those issues because then very clearly the carbon removals end up in the national inventory. There is no requirement for additionality. If the removal is reversed and becomes a source, that is reflected in inventory. So it's just, I think there is a quite an irony here in how we are creating so many problems for ourselves that we then end up having to solve because we are trying to use a mechanism that may or may not be adequate in the first place for financing uh, for financing this. There, there are many farmers who have concerns around those carbon markets who don't feel like they should be uh, you know, doing the work to, to compensate for the emissions of big polluters. And I think that's a very genuine and, and, and um, legitimate um, point of view. And there's also a big question about who will actually benefit from these systems. Voluntary carbon markets are very complex, require a very stringent MRV, which is very costly. Um, and so that means that uh, not all of the money from the sales of carbon credits actually goes to farmers. And then farmers will be um, potentially stuck in extremely long contracts. Um, if we're doing this right, we should be looking at contracts of several decades. So we're looking at several generations of farmers potentially. Um, so perhaps, just perhaps, we should take a step back and think, is this really the right approach? Maybe there is another way. I agree that with um, Norbert Linz that um, the common agricultural policy is not sufficient. I would say it's still not doing enough and it could do a lot more than what it's doing, but we probably do need some additional measures and funding to, to uh, really deploy common farming at scale. But uh, we, as I've said, having looked into this in quite a lot of detail, we are really not convinced that voluntary carbon markets are the right way to do that. And there are many other options that we should be should be exploring. Okay, so Lucia Perugini, um, are we taking the right approach then? Um, yeah, th th there are many challenges we, we already seen and thank you Celia for, for highlighting them. And uh, coming into this uh, double counting issue, uh, and stepping a little back uh, and understanding why this carbon farming is uh, is framed. The carbon farming uh, um, is framed to achieve uh, the zero target, to uh, incentivize farmers to do more, um, and uh, and then so to uh, achieve the common objective at the EU level. So. I would see it, and I don't know how the Commission is working on it because it's, uh, it's uh, as I understood it, it's under development, but I would see this as a system, an incentive system that would mobilize the, the, the private funds and, uh, and, and pay the farmers uh, to do better. Uh, and then this system is embedded within the uh, accountabilities at country level. So, so it should be seen uh, as not a transfer of the ownership of the carbon credits to the uh, private sector, rather a, a tool for making them uh, claiming their, their uh, contribution to the climate objective in the, in the farming level and, uh, and say, hey, I, I emitted uh, this ton of carbon, but I have set this uh, planting this tree on that farm and using a methodologies that is uh, robust, uh, transparent, uh, and, uh, and this uh, carbon credit is uh, of quality. But then the accountability should remain to the state uh, in, in, in a way that, uh, and it's not uh, um, transferred outside the EU. So it should be a, an internal system 
that, uh, that create these incentives uh, that uh, mobilize the private funding, but without uh, really touching and interfering with the country accountability. So here is a little bit a challenge, uh, but anyhow, it's, uh, it's, uh, it's a way to mobilize private funding while the common agricultural policy is actually mobilizing public funding. So that, that, that could be a way to see and how to implement then it's a challenge up to the commission to solve. Um, it is a challenge for the Commission, and there are, in fact, many questions uh, for Mr. Vizic. So I know that you want to react, but let me just go through um, some of the questions for specifically for the Commission and for you, because we have had over 44 questions from our viewers. Um, so they really are, you know, really involved and engaged in this topic. So that's obviously great for all of us to hear. Um, so, Mr. Vizic, um, first question. Um, Mark says, so the Commission wants to use the voluntary carbon market, which has low trust for farmers to protect soils and enhance agri-yields by selling highly reversible carbon credits. How does this not result in greenwashing? And a second question from Duncan um, McLaren. He says, does Lucas Rizek accept that by monetizing soil carbon removals on a voluntary market, it would convert carbon benefits into carbon offsets, uh, so enabling continued emissions elsewhere? If not, how does he think this will be prevented? Please go ahead. Thanks. Thanks very much uh, for, the, for the questions. Uh, I think this all comes down to the credibility. Uh, of these uh, of these carbon credits, uh, that that that's all that it is, uh, and I could even leave it uh, at that. But I will not. Uh, what has been mentioned in this discussion is that, um, and I would like to actually echo that, is that the this assist, this this voluntary market uh, of carbon credits is uh, not something that the Commission is uh, now going to introduce from scratch. It is actually happening already. Uh, these carbon credits, and we've heard this in this discussion, these carbon credits exist. Um, they are verified and certified by private uh, schemes. Uh, the price is uh, very often very low. Uh, we've heard of, uh, of prices of 10, uh, 15 euros uh, per, per ton of carbon, which shows that the trust is uh, not there. And why is it not there? And I'm not trying to criticize any specific uh, certification certification scheme, uh, but the trust is not there because there is no common method in the EU. Um, it's not clear what is behind some of the certification schemes. Uh, and this is why it is uh, absolutely vital to bring some order, if you like, uh, into this and ensure the transparency that's been talked about, uh, the measurement uh, that's been talked about, and the robustness of uh, of this verification system. Now, all that comes at a cost. Uh, that's that's absolutely correct. Uh, if we want to have a credible system, which is backed by data um, from farmers, uh, this comes at a cost. And this is where I uh, strongly believe the public funding comes in. This is where the common agricultural policy comes in. Uh, the 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 national uh, cap strategic plans need to support farmers in um, in delivering these data, uh, in uh, doing these measurements, in overcoming all the administrative hurdles uh, of the process and compensate them uh, uh, compensate them for this. And this is what the Commission has made very clear in the observation letters that the, that, uh, the Commission sent to member states in reaction to their CAP strategic plans. And these observation letters were published uh, in the past uh, hour 
uh, on the Commission website. Uh, so I would encourage uh, all of you to uh, actually read what the Commission uh, recommends to member states uh, in relation to, to carbon farming. Okay, and we are running very close to, um, we, oh, we have less than five minutes now, in fact. Um, okay, so just one last question um, for Mr. Linz, because obviously we really appreciate that all of our viewers have been asking so many questions. Um, Philip Putman says, carbon farming, whilst important, is not the only way to remove carbon. Carbonation through the use of lime should be recognised as carbon removal. Um, MEP Linz, please go ahead. And also, what I might like to add is if you'd like to also wrap up your final thoughts, because then it'll give time to the panelists as well. Please go ahead. <clears throat> yes, um, thank you very much for this question. So uh, today we were talking about this, this instrument of, of carbon farming, yeah, and this is not the only one. So in my view, uh, we have not only to talk about carbon re uh, removals um, when it comes to nature, when it comes to agriculture and, and forestry, we, we have... Um, uh, as well to talk about uh, technical uh, technical things but i want would like to remind us yeah what we are talking about uh, when it comes to the potential yeah, of, of carbon removals so um, when i'm informed right the commission is of the opinion that maybe 42 million tons yeah maybe a little bit more maybe 50 million tons are uh, possible um, to uh, to reach till uh, 2030 per year so this means more or less 1% of the emissions the EU had in 1990. So um, I would like to let us know that we were talking about one instrument, one possibility to uh, mitigate climate change, yeah? but uh, uh, there are um, a lot of um, others relevant and, and the most important one is uh, or are the reduction targets for, for the emissions. Yeah? Okay, thank you, MEP Linz. Uh, Celia Neeson, uh, please go next, please. But please do be as short as possible. Sure, um, a quick concluding statement. Um, so I would say three key points. Uh, one, we believe that market-based approaches to promote carbon removals are uh, clearly not sufficient uh, on their own. And in some cases, uh, for example, for some land-based removals, um, probably not adequate either. Um, second point would be that we really need, when we promote removals and, and in our removal policies, to focus on real high-quality removals um, that really will store greenhouse gas emissions from the atmosphere into uh, sinks, uh, whether geological or natural sinks, for um, at least several centuries. Um, and taking into account all of the emissions that are included also in creating those removals so that we are ensuring a net mitigation benefits. That's something we didn't discuss today, but it's absolutely crucial. And the last and third point would be on this carbon removal certification uh, mechanism. We would urge the Commission to take it slowly, um, make sure that they're getting it right, um, piloting and uh, really not rushing into something that might then create perverse incentives or, or greenwashing. Okay, thank you so much. Uh, Lucia Perugini, please go next. Yeah, thank you very much. Uh, I, I think I think it's not enough. Uh, yeah, you're right, Celia. But uh, anyhow, we need everything, all the effort, and also including the carbon market to participate. So public funding, private funding, and so uh, in this uh, in this framework, I think. Uh, uh, that uh, uh, centralized and a certain uh, certification system is very welcome. Um, 
should be done in a way that uh, contributes to the national effort to achieving the targets. Uh, and uh, and uh, we need to uh, not reinvent the wheel, like Laura was saying, uh, but uh, basing uh, um, on, on what we have on the IPCC guidelines. So there are robust uh, approach there, there are international carbon mechanisms that can provide uh, um, examples. So building on that, we can really uh, achieve, uh, and I hope we will do a, a robust and transparent uh, certification system that will help to achieve the carbon neutrality at EU level. Thank you. Thank you so much. Uh, Yuri Lazensky, please go next. Yeah, thank you very much. I will try to uh, to be short here. Um, on one hand, I want to uh, to comment that, uh, that in my view that the development of future certification mechanism in Euro should be actually based on existing uh, voluntary carbon standards. Um, they are new, but they already provide valuable uh, inputs and valuable methodologies for various agricultural practices to be implemented. So this could be a good starting point. Um, next uh, point is that farmers need to um, to be put in the focus, so and and also the barriers which farmers face to for the implementation of uh, regenerative ag agricultural practices. Uh, we see actually two uh, main barriers. Is one is uh, agronomical support and advice. So farmers need to know what and how to do uh, the agricultural practices. And also second is uh, additional financing. So in addition to public finance. We believe there is a need for a contribution from a private companies, from the business. Um, so uh, this um, needs actually to be addressed. And we believe that's a crucial role and enabling tr trigger actually for, for, for this will be also a participation of private business in this whole process. Um, and actually to, to, bring, to bring the certification system to the level needed, we we believe much more interaction between various stakeholders is needed between uh, obviously commission ngos private companies business researchers etc and uh, we would also welcome the establishment of working groups uh, on various design element topics like additionality leakage uh, baselining uh, mrv okay, and i'm going to have to slightly cut you off there because we do need to get the last two speakers sure. in um so laura severino please go ahead Okay, thank you. Uh, okay, I, I, my opinion is that uh, the, the carbon market is, uh, is necessary to involve also private sector. So we have to create a robust system to uh, ensure the credibility of carbon market and to define all the rules starting from the existing rules. Uh, but uh, we need uh, carbon market. I think uh, this is an opportunity also for, for farmers, for, for farmers to, because uh, thanks to carbon mar market, thanks to finance some uh, initiative or project for uh, uh, and uh, promote the sustainable de development of, of, uh, of uh, the company. Uh, and so uh, the, 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 we need all the action and the, uh, the, 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 sol uh, the, the, the solution is to define a, a common accepted standard starting from the existing one, uh, define rules for certification 
exempt validation and exposed verification and define the rules for accreditation. This is uh, our point of view, the, the, the best solution. Thank you. Okay, and then just lastly to uh, Lucas Weizsäcker. I mean, you've had a little bit of a hard time um, this morning, but you are the representative of the European Commission. Um, so no doubt you've had lots of food for thought through this debate. Thank, thank you very much. And, you know, it's good. We, uh, we're supposed to have a hard time uh, on these uh, on these points. Uh, uh, that's, that's the right that's the right approach. Um, I'll be very quick. Um, just to react to Yuri, uh, there's an expert group uh, coming up, uh, is being formed uh, as we speak. So please uh, watch that space uh, and be part of the process. Uh, second point I wanted to make is that I, I completely agree that this is not, a, you know, carbon farming is not a silver bullet. Uh, 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 it's, it's, it's part of a very complex solution to reach climate neutrality of the land sector by 2035. It is a very important element of uh, of the whole architecture, but it's not the only one. It also is not a free out of jail card for, for polluters uh, who are supposed to reduce greenhouse gas emissions. Uh, they cannot just uh, buy carbon credits from uh, from soil and and stop reducing uh, uh, their their emissions. But having said all of this, I think that uh, you know carbon farming has a massive potential if we manage to create trust of investors, um, and that can only be done um, if we have a robust and credible uh, verification and certification method. So in the end, carbon farming will be good for, um, will be good for farmers, uh, uh, for people, uh, for planet uh, and, and for profits. Thank you very much for the invitation. Thank you so much. Um, okay, well, we'll leave it there. Um, I mean, I hope everyone watching has enjoyed what has been quite a lively debate. There have been lots of questions from all of you um, on carbon removal. Um, I'm Myron Saida. You've been watching a Euractive debate supported by the TIC Council. Take care and bye-bye.